You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. This is Teresa, and America's not here with us, but I have a special guest, Em. Hi, everyone. I'm Em Scahill. I'm the Director of Public Education and Awareness at MHA. Awesome. Today, we're going to talk about how our environments affect our health, but we're kind of kicking off this whole this next series. Um, we just finished about a series on alcohol and drug use, and we're actually moving to environments um, because that's part of our mental health month. May is mental health month. And um, do you want to share about mental health month and share about what toolkit and campaign yeah. developed this, this yeah, year? Absolutely. So MHA has been observing Mental Health Month since 1949, um, and every year we release a toolkit and do a campaign. Um, So like Teresa mentioned, this year we're focusing on environment. And so this year's campaign is titled Look Around, Look Within. Um, And we're talking about all different kinds of surroundings because, you know, we're people and we never exist in a vacuum. We're always somewhere. Um, And so we're talking about in the toolkit, safe and stable housing. We're talking about healthy home environments your neighborhood and your town and what that community looks like, and then the outdoors and nature. Um, And the toolkit has a bunch of information on those different areas and things that you can do to help optimize those environments for yourself, as well as a lot of resources for organizations and um, social media tools, all kinds of good stuff in there. And so if you're interested in that toolkit, you can go to Mental Health America. The URL is mhanational.org slash may. Perfect. Awesome. Well, let's dive into our topic. So when you think about how does my environment affect my health, what came up in your mind first? So much. There's so much to it. I think my first thought goes to like my immediate surroundings. Like I'm at my desk right now and what is around me. I'm in my bedroom, kind of my bedroom. I'm in a bedroom at an Airbnb right now. So kind of the physical space that I'm in, I also, environment immediately makes me think of climate and climate change and a lot of anxiety I have around that. So there's a lot of different pieces to it. If you think about those things that impact your life the most and had to scale them, because I think about your room and your physical space and I'm a messy person and I'm comfortable with living with some relative mess, Mm -hmm. but obviously that's going to have, I don't know, subconscious impact on on my well-being, <laughs> I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. But I also think about the weather right outside of my, like I know the winters are always hard for me, even though I live in California and just how much heat is outside. Like, I don't know. My body is like a weird body. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm extra sensitive to changes in climate. So when I lived in, in DC, I was awful. Like I- mm-hmm. <laughs> The humidity in the summer. <laughs> Like, and you couldn't go outside ever. Mm -hmm. And then all the way when you said climate change, it's like, yeah, like, okay, how much has my brain, (laughs) how much of my anxiety is climate anxiety, which is something I talk about. But if you had to rate those three things in order of how much they impact your mental health, what would you do? Oh, interesting. I feel like I would go to personal environment first because that's the thing I have the most control over. And I feel like I'm similar to you where I am also a messy person and I'm it's like, it's an organized mess, organized chaos. I still know where things are. Um, but that's been something that's been interesting for me too over the last few months and working on this is like all the research says that 
organized spaces, clean spaces do help your subconscious, do help you focus, do help you feel, feel more at ease. And so I think there's an interesting balance there too with, and especially around messiness and cleanliness, there's so much shame involved in being messy. So that's been interesting too, to think about like optimizing my physical space for myself and keeping myself organized so that I can, I do feel better and less stressed and less overwhelmed, but also not making the fact that I need to organize my space something else that is a stressor to me. So giving myself the grace to to not be on top of it all the time. Yeah. You you would have rated that first. Yeah. How yeah, I think so. My brain went to temperature. Did it? And like upcoming climate change, like the threat of climate change or no, and not climate change, um, interestingly, even though I have enormous climate anxiety, like climate was last, mm-hmm. but it was first like, and, and maybe because I, I literally had to leave a city because the city was killing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I told yeah. myself in my brain, you know, and and maybe because I notice that my depression is a lot worse if I don't have sunlight in my eyeballs, mm-hmm. that it was the opportunity to be physically outside. Yeah. I mean, I kind of noticed this too with like whether or not I can take a walk or just spend any amount of time outdoors at specific times of the day mm-hmm. has an impact on my mental health. And and that's like the severity of the depression when it comes. Right. But I think what you're saying is so important about your personal space because I am comfortable with mess, but I also don't feel any shame associated with my mess, even when mm-hmm. people call me out on it right? Good for you. No, I know. So maybe that's a thing. That's like a thing that I've just been like, nope, I can't. Yeah, own I, can't. It. <laughs> I can't feel shame about this of the list of things to feel shame about. <laughs> yeah, the, the the temperature and outdoor thing does make a lot of sense because I think about myself too. And so I mentioned that I'm at an Airbnb right now. Um, for context, I was living in DC for the last four and a half years or so. My lease ended and came to San Diego for two months. Don't know what's next. Um, so I'm very much in a, like, kind of, I don't have a steady, stable environment right now. Mm. Um, and a big part of why I chose to come to San Diego, um, was because I kept saying the quality of life in DC wasn't what I wanted. And I think I had a lot of, like, I didn't fully know what that meant. Um, and some of it is that it's just very politically focused, very career focused, not super interpersonal relationship focused, which is what I like. Um, and then another big part of it was like, it's a lot of museums and wineries and book talks. And that was all good and fun for a bit. But what I really like and what I really want out of life is to be outside and go surfing and be on a boat um, and getting myself into a space where that is easily accessible has made such a difference. Like back in DC, back, I mean, my entire life, I could go days without leaving my apartment easily, probably weeks. And here it is just so much easier to get myself up and out. Yeah. And the impact that that has is huge. On like exercise. Yeah. And being, you mentioned surfing. I know for my friends who have a big part of their well-being is taking a walk or going for a Mm -hmm. run or surfing, that even though they thought they were going to hate some space that suddenly having access to that was super life-changing for them. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. But you still rated that secondary, even though you had this huge (laughs) life change. 
I think moving is an interesting context because every time I move, I shed belongings, which makes mm-hmm. it easier for me to stay clean. Yeah. Yeah. And you still <laughs> said my immediate personal space. So is it is it the shame? Is it the cleanliness? <laughs> no, honestly, I think it's actually more that I don't have one stable personal space. Mm. It is consistently shifting. So like I'm, I'm in San Diego for two months. I have two different Airbnbs. So I'm only in each space for a month, um, living with different people. And so not having that sense of stability, that like home, that home base to come Mm. home to is just a very different experience for me. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of what you were alluding to and and to just hear it pinned down in that way because it was sort of an sounds like an unexpected consequence of choosing to try and experiment <laughs> with where you might live is then you created a situation for yourself where you have no home yeah it's very interesting because I'm also doing a lot of work on like healthy detachment and finding that like that's a big part of why I'm here it's like I, I wanted to experience that for myself um and finding the line between healthy detachment and attachment because you don't want like I don't want to be here and not attached to anyone or anything here I want these places to feel like some sense of home um but how do I do that what does that look like oh that's really good what is home I think I think that that really affects a lot of people you know Mm -hmm. like feeling like you have a space that you don't belong in like I know that kids who have been in divorce Mm, who yeah suddenly are in someone else's home space mm-hmm. or moving around all the time. Like if you're in the military, like this is something yeah. that those kids talk about or being a foster youth or for whatever, even as an adult, our life circumstances where we're moved into someone else's environment, like this mm-hmm. place feels alien to me. It doesn't yeah. feel comfortable and how much that matters. Mm-hmm. I love that you're wrestling with this idea of healthy detachment versus healthy attachment. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Like, how is that working out? <laughs> Pretty well, honestly. Better than I expected, actually. <laughs> um, I am very much someone that needs a home base. So I was expecting this to be a lot more of a challenge than it has been. I think having, so like I'm here with a backpack and I think having that, like having few belongings has been helpful too, because I feel not necessarily like attached to my belongings, but I, I know what all of my stuff is. Like I know everything that I, that I own, I know where it all is, um, has helped kind of ground me a bit. It's been very interesting. I think I have found myself liking the transitions a lot more than I expected to. Um, like as much as I do like my home base, I'm also someone that does my best when I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone very much like a sink or swim, rise to the occasion kind of person. So yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like it was something that I was very afraid of. And I looked at a lot of people who traveled a lot and did the whole digital nomad thing and didn't think I could do it. And then, you know, through putting myself in a situation where I have to do it, have been like, oh, I guess I can, I guess I can kind of do this. Yeah. It's sort of a reminder about how much everything is about perspective hmm. So it sounds like what you did was like, oh, I, I'm not going to have a, lo- a lot of control. But you kind of put everything into that backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so home was this backpack? Yeah. And I think 
I mean, a big part of it too is community and staying in touch with people. Um, and for me, so I'm, my original plan was to go somewhere else. So I'm here until May and then was planning to go somewhere else for June and July um, and think I might actually go back to DC for the summer, um, partly for my community and my people and to spend some time back there. Um, partly because World Pride in 2025 is going to be in DC and I want to get involved with organizing that. So yeah, that's kind of another another factor of like the the things going on, the the activities in your environment make up your environment too and the access you have to them. Yeah, that's probably the trifecta. Like when I thought about my life, when it made it hard to buffer myself against, you know, more mental, more depression, more anxiety, more addiction issues. It was like I was isolated. I couldn't go yeah. out and do the things I wanted to do, but I also had no community, mm-hmm. was not connected to myself or other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what does one do? Have you ever had a period where you felt lonely and isolated? Oh, yes. So many times. I mean, I was really, really shy as a kid. I really did not come out of my shell at all until college and was very much, I had friends throughout middle high school, but was very much kind of the, the person that floated between groups. So didn't have like a, a close group, but was friendly with everyone. And yeah, I feel like those times are so hard because community is as much as we think of like community and environment, your physical surrounding as, as different things. So much of your spaces are made up of the people in them. Um, And then the other thing too, is like, regardless of what space you're in, you're also in your mind. And so if your mind is, you know, feeling like an icky place, anywhere is not going to feel great. So yeah, kind of utilizing those other, other pieces of the puzzle to change that, like you were saying, to get back to perspective um, and find some good pieces within the environment that you're in. That's true about your mind, not just being an icky place, but when you said that, it also makes me think about if my mind is my other friend, my Mm -hmm. mind has been a good friend, Mm -hmm. encouraging, pleasant to be with. Mm -hmm. And I'm generally better if my mind and what my mind tells me is nicer yeah. But when I've been in the middle of an episode, my mind is a butt. Like it is mean. It is <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah, and, sure. and you're like, I can't even control that other person in my own mind, you know? Yeah. But it yeah. feels like someone else, you know, which is why I think like talking to my depressed brain or talking to my anxious brain helps me because you're like, who is that? Totally. That makes a lot of sense. I saw something on Instagram a while ago that was talking about like, if you're spending a lot of time in your head, make sure it's a nice place to be. And that struck me because I I spend a lot of time in really negative thought spirals and cycles and ruminating over things. And it's like, you know what, if I am going to spend so much time in my head, I, I should work on that. With <laughs> that it. self. Yeah. With yeah. that person. Let's start to go a little outward because I think we've been talking about the way we can pay attention to our inner head, our personal mm-hmm. environment. Have you noticed that being in pollution, air, a rural versus an urban setting, mm-hmm. noise pollution. Like, have you have you thought any of that stuff gets under your skin? Yeah, I haven't experienced much in terms of air pollution, water pollution, but light pollution living in cities. 
I did not grow up in a city. I grew up in a pretty remote area. Um, And so that was a big shift for me, trying to sleep. And the way that that impacted me was something I was so not expecting. I was talking to someone at a meeting a few months ago, and he mentioned living in a neighborhood with gun violence and how that impacted his sleep because he was scared to fall asleep at night. And that has made me think of just all the different factors that go into people's sleep and how that then impacts your mental health. So, I mean, there are so many environmental crises happening across the globe. So light for you made it harder to sleep? Yeah. I found I found too that if I got accustomed to something, so if I got accustomed to having light, if I got accustomed to having sound, when I moved into a house that suddenly was in the middle of the woods, it felt eerie like I was going to get killed by a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so the shift anyway. The shift so a, a yeah, the shift itself took reacclimating both ways. So if I moved from a quiet neighborhood and then I had a couple houses where I was literally next one time. So right. My window was outside a bus stop. (laughs) (laughs) So all night through basically 4am when this particular bus started coming with a mnemonic sound, (laughs) you know, and then the trash would come and you're like, Oh my God. And then you kind of get used to it, you know, and those homes, like in those places where I lived, I would definitely say like my baseline level of agitation was increased where you're Mm. like, oh, you could never get down because you're just stimulated. Right. Yeah. Um, And then I would have to listen to music or like offset it by something equally wild. Yeah. But something I felt was enjoyable, but not calm, like not ever calm. Right. Whereas when I was in a quiet space, even though at first I was anxious, I was Mm -hmm. anxious or scared, irrationally so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think too, you make a good point, like change is hard. Change is so hard, even if it's good change, even if it feels like it should be like an, an easy shift. As much as I've, you know, up and moved to a place that feels great, like I love San Diego. I'm so happy here. Um, but there have been really hard, really scary moments where like your mind just kind of takes over and freaks out for a little bit. And sometimes that needs to happen. But yeah, like give, acknowledging that change is hard and that it will disrupt you for a little bit. Um, that's also been helpful for me is like giving myself time for it to suck. Like this is going to take time for me to adjust and then I'll be okay. And if I'm not, we'll address it. I think that's a huge factor, right? Because you're saying, I mean, like the old Teresa would have just stayed with how much that sucked. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a skill, you know, that radical acceptance to say, you know what, here I am. Mm-hmm. This is going to be fine. Just sit with it. It's going to suck. And that's okay that it sucks. See mm-hmm. what sucks. Can you appreciate what sucks? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Can you accept what sucks? just so you can eventually see beyond it? Yeah, one of my favorite ideas that really helped me is that the idea that we're not humans experiencing the world or experiencing the universe, we're the universe experiencing being a human. And thinking about it like that, thinking about myself as more than just my like 80 whatever years on earth, as more than just like my physical presence, that has helped me embrace the bad moments a lot more because when I think about it like that when I think about like getting to experience a human life I'm like 
give me all the love, all the heartbreak. Like I want to feel it all. And so that's made it a lot easier to be like, yeah, it sucks that I don't have any friends here. I don't know people here. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just up and moved across the country and I'm in a place where I can go surfing every day after work if I want. And that's really cool. You can't fully understand the good if you never had the flip side. Yeah. I think that's certainly something I think it's true. It's like, I can't change that past. Like, I can't change my environment. Mm -hmm. What can I do to like see what it can offer me, you know, is is the next best thing, Mm -hmm. which I think runs us right to the last issue which is global (laughs) like (laughs) real far outside of our control but like do you have climate anxiety yes absolutely i think about this a lot i'm 27 and i don't want kids but a lot of my friends want kids and are thinking about like is it ethical to bring children into the world at this point both in terms of the lives that those kids would probably have to live and in terms of I forget who said this to me, but someone was like, this is, that's the largest thing you can do for your carbon footprint is having a child. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. So yeah, thinking about the future is scary, especially with how fast things are progressing, regressing and feeling like there's nothing I can do. You know, like, I mean, we're all the messaging is, you know, recycle, paper straws, all that jazz. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the what four corporations that oversee everything and the lack of control we have there. I I do sense too, I don't know if you think about your network, but I have some people in my network who aren't generally anxious people at all. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I wish I had those genes because it seems super awesome to be like in that brain. And but you realize like, whoa, okay, my brain is different. And then all of my friends who have who have any inclination towards, you know, depression or anxiety or paranoia, (laughs) you know, that it's just so easy for it to become overwhelmed with from personal space all the way to global and like we and that people who don't have anxious they almost have something in their brain that makes them protected against that they're like i don't even want to talk to you about that like yeah i'm not even there yeah (laughs) yeah i wish i could do that (laughs) they're like i'm just not gonna worry about that you're like what how (laughs) yeah worry about that yeah and that's that's one of the things that i found really difficult with climate anxiety actually is like what is based in reality (laughs) what of which part pieces of my anxiety are very real and which pieces are my anxious brain talking to me and escalating it? And I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know either. I But I do. Then I spend an enormous amount of time thinking about that exact question. Like, because we spend so much time in therapy being like, well, what's your rational mind? And which is not your yeah. rational mind. And for this issue, it's like everything in the data says that this is a problem. But then you're also like, how does that look? Or like, what's the timeline on that? Because then I get obsessed with the timeline. Like how many years do we have left to live? Yep. How many years until collapse? Yup. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, it's It's scary. It is scary to cope with. Yeah. Because it's also, I think something I, I've been thinking a lot about it, like just, uh, being in my mid twenties is like, not even in terms of climate, but just planning my life future. Yeah. And like, how, how many years does the earth have? Like what, what's going to exist and be, what is, what is anything going to look like? Yeah. 
and not being able having real no clear picture of what what society and the whole world will look like when I'm you know 35 40 50 that's wild yeah and that that are for generations that have lived today I think the only generational issue that I've heard that's close to that was like the cold war Mm -hmm. and the advent of um, atomic bombs, so like thinking about, well, what is our future if everything is blown up? It's like the closest, but that's so. I think our generation is the first to wrestle again with this existential yeah. level experience. And yeah. if you had to give people a unifying thought or a takeaway from our discussion when you think about your personal space all the way to your global space, like what stood out for you today? I think finding the ways that you can create pieces of home for yourself and within yourself. So having that, you know, kind of home home in your mind that you can go to if you're away from your community, physically away from your community, still connecting with them and embracing the the things that are in the the area you are in can still be really helpful. Yeah. I think that really summarizes in nice pieces a lot of what we discussed. I think also just the how impactful change and transitions are with feeling yeah. unstable mm-hmm. and how instability is a factor of environment that might have a bigger influence than we think about like the literal physical space that we're in, right? right. So just maybe turning those things together, just acknowledging, hey, I've been through a big change, like mm-hmm. sit with that and reflect on how brave I've been just for being through a change. Yeah. And even aside from like individual specific transitions that we're facing, the whole world is changing. Like we're still transitioning out of COVID. We're still dealing with the the existential transition of what, what does, how does the world operate in climate crisis? So there's all those underlying changes that are happening to all of us without, without our consent that we are dealing with and that are impacting us. So keeping in mind that that's all going on too. Yeah, it's a lot to hold it's in a lot. brain. Yep. Well, thank you so much. We always end with keep on fighting, everyone. Keep on fighting in the open. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.